Well, good morning. I'm Paul Chitwood, President of the International Mission Board. It is a privilege for me to be here with you today. I want to uh, thank you, Mobley Baptist Church, for all that you're doing, not only to reach your community, but through your partnership with the IMB, all that you're doing to get the gospel literally to the very ends of the earth. On behalf of 3,604 IMB missionaries and their 2,700 kids, uh, who are serving all over the world. Uh, it's a privilege for me to stand before you as one of the most generous churches literally in the Southern Baptist Convention and to express our deep appreciation to you. Uh, your world missions offering, your cooperative program giving, uh, combined with some unique partnership, uh, partnerships that, that Moberly and, and IMB have together uh, means that this past year, Bible Baptist gave over a quarter of a million dollars uh, to support missionaries and to work among the nations. Uh, there's great work that's taking place because of that. In fact, during this pandemic year, we were able to fund twice as many relief projects as we had the year before uh, with so many needs uh, that exist. Uh, we were also able to see over the course of the last year uh, almost 13,000 new churches planted that you helped fund around the world. Uh, we were able to see 89,000 plus people profess faith in Christ because of the witness of your missionaries and their partners, and more than half of them follow through with believers' baptism. So you are having an impact uh, literally to the very ends of the earth, and I'm so grateful for you. Uh, grateful for uh, uh, Bryant Wright and the opportunity to kind of fill in for him today as he has uh, teaching ministry here during this time of transition. Know that we are praying uh, for you and for the great future that God has for you. And I also want to say a special word of thanks uh, to your pastoral uh, uh, team here at Mobley Baptist uh, and your uh, staff team for the great job that they are doing uh, leading uh, through this season of the church. I thank the Lord for them and for the way that uh, the ministry here is continuing to push forward. Let me ask a question of you today. Why are you here? Why are you here? I mean, you know there's a global pandemic, right? Uh, but you're here. It's a cool winter morning for Texas, I suppose. It's snowing in Richmond, Virginia. My wife sent me a little video this morning. It's not snowing here, but, but cool for you Texans, I suppose. And yet you got out of bed and came to an earlier worship service. It's Super Bowl Sunday, and I know there's no Texas teams playing, uh, uh, so you probably can't use that as an excuse for, for, for uh, ditching church today, but why are you here? Why are we here? I mean, don't you think heaven's going to be better than earth? I, I, I trust, especially after this year, heaven's going to be better than earth. Uh, there are no pandemics in heaven. There are no presidential elections in heaven. Uh, there, there's no cancer in heaven, no COVID in heaven. Uh, there's no depression in heaven. There's no death in heaven. Because heaven, well, it's heaven, right? So why doesn't the Lord just save us and, and take us to heaven? And the answer to that question is this. Because heaven is not yet as heaven will be. Heaven is not yet as heaven will be. 
And that's why we're here still. What will heaven be? What will it be like? We're able to see that in Scripture. I want to invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. We're going to read verses 9 and 10 together. As the Lord long ago gave one of his servants, whose name was John, a vision into heaven. As it someday will be. And John writes down describing what he saw. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. Let me invite you to stand. Honor of the reading of God's word this morning. As we hear John share with us what he saw. He said, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. Heaven as it will be, might God make it so. You may be seated. When we pause to think about heaven, uh, there are some questions that usually flood our mind. Wonder what we'll be doing in heaven. Wonder what heaven will be like. Wonder who will be in heaven. Well, let's ask some of those questions as we look closely at the vision of heaven that the Lord allows John to see. And let's start with that question, who? Who will be in heaven? And in the answer to that question and these other questions, we find reinforced why the church is still here on earth, what we have yet to do. John, in describing who he sees in heaven, uh, says this, I, I, I looked in the first part of verse 9, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. What we understand as we look at what John sees through his eyes is that heaven is inclusive. Oh, it's not inclusive in the sense that everyone is going to be in heaven because we know everyone won't be in heaven. Only those who have put their trust in Jesus as Savior, only those who have confessed him as their Lord. And, and yet heaven is inclusive in the sense that someone will be there from every nation. Someone from all the tribes and all the peoples and all the languages of the world. And church, that's why we're here. We're still here on earth because heaven is not yet as heaven will be. Because there are still some nations, some peoples, some tribes, some languages around the world from whom no one has been saved. Some nations, peoples, tribes, and languages who know nothing of the Savior. Some who don't have a single verse of Scripture translated into their language. Millions who have never heard the name of Jesus. Billions still lost. 
And that church is why we're here. We're here because God has commissioned us to go to our family members, our friends, to our neighbors, and to the nations with the good news of the gospel. So the who of heaven can be there. And until they are there, there's still work for us to do. And that's why we're here. Who will be in heaven? A vast multitude from every nation, all the tribes, tribes, peoples, and languages of the world. Now ask with me, where? Where will they be? Well, we've already said they'll be in heaven. John specifies where they are in heaven. After this, John says, uh, uh, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb. There they are in his presence. There they are before his throne. There they are where he wants them to be. There they are where he purposed for them to be, even before he laid the foundations of the world. There they are, those from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, in the Father's house. Scripture speech, speaks about uh, heaven and, and, and uses it uh, in these family terms and, and, and even in terms of a, uh, of a house and Jesus himself in, in the Gospel of John talked about in my Father's house are many mansions, there's many rooms, there's, there, there's a place that I go to prepare for you. It, it's good to be home, isn't it? When you've been away, it, it, it's good to get home. Especially when you've been away for a long, long time. Oh, it feels so good to be I want to thank you for building a home. I want to thank you for building a home for a 16-year-old boy and his four younger brothers and sisters. Uh, my wife, Michelle, and I had the opportunity to see the home that you built for them in Uganda. You said, well, I didn't know I built a house in Uganda. You did. You built a house in Uganda. It's in an interesting location. It's in the middle of a refugee camp, a refugee settlement up on the northern border of Uganda, right where Uganda corners into the Congo and South Sudan. And that's where you built the house. Now, it's not a house like I live in, probably not a house like you live in. Uh, it's a very humble house. It's made of brick. It's a dirt floor, a tin roof. Uh, it's pretty small. It's probably about the size of uh, from the edge of this piece of carpet to the end of the stage there. And uh, not much bigger than the square here, and it's divided into two rooms. But in a refugee settlement, it's kind of a mansion. Now, why did you build a house like that there? Because your missionaries learned about this little family of five. 
about how they had fled war and genocide in South Sudan, about how they had journeyed on foot with literally nothing except for a few clothes on their back, orphaned and running for their lives. Somehow they made it into Uganda. Somehow they wandered into the refugee camp where your missionaries work. Seeing the needs, becoming aware of their plight, uh, your missionaries went to work and, and, and meeting their needs and making sure that they had food and, and, and clothes and, and because they were homeless, built them a house. And then shared with them with five orphans about a father who longs to adopt them about one who is preparing a place for them for all eternity and for any who would trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Thank you for loving five orphans in a refugee camp, even though you've never met them nor knew they existed. And someday... When we're gathered around the throne, they'll be there. Who? All people from every tribe and nation and language. Where? In the Father's house with us. How do they get there? Well, let's ask the question, how? Of the vision of heaven. John gives us some indication uh, uh, here at the end of verse 9. He says, after this I looked, uh, and behold who? A great multitude, no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, where standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And then he says this, they are clothed in white robes. Clothed in white robes. Now that's, that's deeply symbolic. The, the, the robing and the color of those robes is deeply symbolic. And here's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes those who have been washed, those who have been cleaned, those who have been clothed, those who have put on Christ and whose sins have been taken away by his shed blood and who no longer stand as every human being does, condemned by our sin the Bible says we're born dead in our trespasses and sin. Uh, the Bible says uh, those who sin are slaves to sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we are stained by our sin. How is it those so stained with sin who, who have earned sin's wages, which is death, can be washed clean and clothed in white robes and find themselves in heaven, it's the how of salvation. It's the how that takes place when a person comes to hear and believe the good news that the Son of God is the Lamb of glory who takes away the sins of the world, that he did everything that is necessary for us to be forgiven and cleansed, that he paid for our adoption into the Father's family with his own life. It is the how that took place if you have put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. 
It is the how that moved you from death unto life. And that's how the who will be there. Hearing and believing the gospel. And, and yet I know about two people who will be there who have never heard the gospel. You say, now that, that didn't sound right, preacher. <laughs> I thought you had to hear the gospel and believe the gospel to be saved. Well, let, let me tell you about these two individuals. These are two individuals who live in Indonesia. They've never heard the gospel verbally because they're deaf. And yet, you and your generous giving to the IMB have missionaries to the deaf around the world. And we actually have a training center for those missionaries in Nashville, Tennessee at a place we call the Deaf Theological Training Center. Uh, two of the people who were recently trained as missionaries to the deaf are originally from Indonesia. And they were in Nashville getting their training, learning how to uh, share the gospel in sign language, learning how to share their testimony in sign language, and, and, and wanting to practice. Uh, they reached out to some of their friends who are still in Indonesia and asked them if they would join them in an online meeting. They had something very important to share with them. And so a group of their friends uh, uh, met them online. And these two new missionaries to the deaf, originally from Indonesia, who are for now in the States, spent an hour signing their testimonies and the gospel to their friends in Indonesia online. And two of those friends, without ever hearing the gospel with their ears, saw the gospel communicated through sign, believed, and trusted Jesus as their Savior. And I don't know if they'll use sign language in heaven. <laughs> Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But I do look forward to looking around as we stand before the throne and seeing deaf people from around the world who are then whole and well, but more important, forgiven and standing alongside of us before the throne. <laughs> in heaven. Thank you for making that possible. Well, let's ask another question. You can't ask questions of anything without asking the question, why, right? I mean, I, I, I'm a father of four. I've heard why so many times. Uh, well, just more times than I can count. That was probably the first question that my little ones like to ask me when they were young. And in fact, I have a teenager who still likes to ask it, but she asks it in a different way. Uh, when she asks why at times, I'm sure she doesn't want to know why. She already knows why or has her opinion about why. And so she asks why more as a statement uh, with a bit of an attitude, if you're tracking with me. Uh, but, but let's ask why. Why are they there? We know who will be there. There'll be people there from every language, nation, uh, and, and tribe of the world. We know where they'll be. They'll be there before the throne. We know how they got there uh, through the shed blood of Christ. They've heard and believed the gospel and been saved. But why are they there? Let's see. 
John, as he describes who is there and how they got there, tells us what they're doing. Verse 9 again, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude, no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, how? Clothed in white robes. And now he notes this. He says, they have palm branches in their hands and, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why are they there? They're there for the same reason that you came here this morning. They're there to worship him. They're to praise him. They're to declare their loyalty and their love for the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. They're to offer to the only one who is worthy themselves and their praises. They are there because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the beloved uh, son of the Father who took the form of a servant who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. They're there because he did for them what they could not do for themselves. They're there because there was no one else who loved them enough to die for them and no one else who could forgive them and save them. And there is no one else who is worthy to hear his praises sang for all eternity. This vision, the vision of heaven where all the tears have been wiped away and, and there's no more death or sorrow or pain and the Father and his Son are being praised and every language they've placed on the tongues of men, it is, it is there that you and I, if you are in Christ, will be able to look around and see with us those with whom we have shared or, or, or those who have believed because we, we prayed for the lost around the world or, or, or those who have come to faith because we gave so the missionaries could go. There will be there those who were there because we had some part as we prayed, as we gave, as we sent, as we went to see that they heard the good news and had the opportunity to enjoy the forgiveness that we have enjoyed. Oh, I look forward to that day, don't you? Well, there's one more question we have to ask. So what? So what? Now, not so what in the sense of you know, again, with that teenager-like attitude, so what? No. So what does this mean for me? So what does this require of me? So, so, so what? Father, now that you've allowed me through your word to see heaven as it will be, what does this mean for me? Well, again, heaven is not yet as it will be. There's work to be done. And that's why we're here. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you like this. I want to tell you something that a lot of people don't know about our family, about me and my wife, Michelle. We have a daughter who is a Texan. 
Now, I was born in La Follette, Tennessee. My wife was born in Corbin, Kentucky. We, we've never lived in Texas. And yet, we have a daughter who is a Texan. She came to us first as a foster daughter. My wife and I were serving as foster parents through uh, the Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children when we lived in that state. And, uh, the Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children, one of our Baptist ministries, is, works with state government to help care for foster kids. Uh, and uh, we had had a little girl placed with us uh, when she was three, about to turn four, just for a few months. Uh, her, her mother... Uh, had given birth to her in Texas and then had ended up in Kentucky. Her mother was struggling with addiction and, well, lots of other issues. A and the state had taken Lily into custody. Uh, her mother was working through the programs and was supposed to get her daughter back. And so we were told this was a, a short-term temporary placement, which was fine with me. I uh, wasn't ready to start over with a three-year-old. We had three older kids, and, and uh, I said, but we, we can deal with this for a little while. And yet a little while turned into a little longer while and a little longer while, and, and her mother eventually just, well, things fell apart. And the state terminated her rights, and Lily became a ward of the state of Kentucky. We were told that Lily would need to be moved into a family that won't, a family's home that uh, was ready to adopt her unless we wanted to be that family. Well, at that point, she had been with us for several months, and because she'd never known a daddy, had been calling me daddy from day one, and uh, the answer came quickly. <laughs> we'll adopt Lily. And yet, two years later, where we'd now had her almost three years, the adoption had yet to be finalized. Uh, those of you who have fostered or adopted through the state system, you know how broken the system is. It just takes forever. Uh, it's no less broken in Texas, I don't think, because, than, than in Kentucky. I, I, I know that because of our experience, Lily having been born in Texas, we had to work with Texas government through a part of this process. And, and, and then something happened that really through things uh, and, and a bit of a disarray, the, uh, the Board of Trustees for the International Mission Board asked if I would be willing to serve as president, which meant that I would need to move our family from Kentucky to Virginia, where the IMB is headquartered. And uh, feeling God's call in that direction, uh, we knew that uh, we would need to reach out to the social worker for Lily because anytime we even made a trip out of state, we had to let them know, you know, Lily's going to be with us out of state. And, and so I explained the situation to the social worker and said, you know, what do we need to do to ensure that, uh, that the adoption is finalized? We'll come back for court proceedings or what have you, but just, just what do we need to do next? And she said, well, the first thing you need to know is that Lily cannot move out of the state of Kentucky until the adoption is finalized. She's a ward of the state. She can't live outside the state. I said, well, we've been waiting on you all forever, and, and I've got this job offer, and I plan to accept it. We need to get this fixed. We'll be moving in just a few weeks. And she said, well, I'll do everything I can. 
And so I called her the next day. I said, what did you do today? And then I called her the day after that. I said, what did you do today? And I'm sure within three or four days, she was ready to block my number, right? But, but uh, uh, she really was trying to do all that she could. Just, it was a big broken system, and a social worker has very little power in that system. And so I reached out to her supervisor, and I began to explain the situation. She said, oh, we're aware of the situation. I said, well, I need some help <laughs> because we got the job offer on the table. We, we're moving, and yet we're not leaving her here. We've got to get this thing wrapped up. She said, I'll do everything I can. But days and another week passed and nothing was happening. And, and so I called the, the cabinet uh, and state government. I talked to the secretary of the cabinet. I explained the situation. I said, I need some help. She said, I'll do everything I can. And nothing happened. And I called the governor's office. At the time, I was working with 2,500 churches, uh, Baptist churches in the state of Kentucky, and, and sort of like in Texas, Baptists are like the largest voting block in the state of Kentucky, so uh, the governor knew who we were, and, and I explained to him, governor, he was a pro-life governor, I said, we've been trying to help you with some of the things that, 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 that you're advocating for, some of the new laws you're trying to get in place, and didn't agree with him on everything, certainly agreed with him on that. And I said, governor, we've been trying to help you, now I need some help from you. And every night, We'd call on the God of heaven, Lord, I know you didn't give us Lily to leave her here and yet you're calling us to go and we can't make this work and we can't fix it. We need your help. And then literally just like two and a half weeks before we moved, uh, we stood in Judge Derwin Webb's courtroom in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, and I became the father of a Texan. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure you'd agree that made me a better man, right? <laughs> well, now why do I share that story with you? Here's why. All over the world, there are men and women and boys and girls who the father has said, I intend to adopt. They are spiritual orphans, and what awaits them when they enter into eternity is hell, eternal separation from God in hell. And yet the father has done everything that needs to be done to secure their adoption. His son paid the fee in full, and he's called you to be the social worker. You're the cabinet secretary. You, you, you're the one who, who is already a part of his family, who he's left here. What did Lily need? Lily needed an advocate so she could have a father and a mother. And lost men and women and boys and girls around the world need an advocate, need someone who will plead their case in prayer, uh, need someone uh, who will go and share with them, need someone who will send others to go and share with them. And there is so much at stake for billions who are yet lost. And the Lord must thank a lot of us because he's left us here. 
in a time when literally there are more lost people in the world than at any time in history. And he has said, go. See that they hear. This rests upon all of us. What? The job that he's left us here to do. Getting the gospel to every nation, to all the tribes, peoples, and languages of the world. What will you do? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for letting us see heaven as it will be. And thank you, Lord, that we get to have a part in making heaven what it will be. Father, help us to do our part. Help us uh, to pray with, with fervor and conviction. Help us to give generously. Uh, help us to, uh, to send out any who you are calling to the nations. And Lord, might you call us, give us the courage to go so that the vision of heaven can come to pass. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.